am I going to demand? Jesus said there's another way. In verse 39b, we do not have to retaliate. We don't have to get our way when we are wronged. For instance, Jesus says if we get slapped in the face, we can choose not to slap somebody back. Uh, We can even choose to say, you got this side, take a shot at this side if you want, and not retaliate. Jesus, in his crucifixion and the torture of it, did the very things that he's telling us we can do. And that's what we love about Jesus. He doesn't just tell us things that he's not willing to do. He tells us things that not only was he willing to do, but he did. So if you look in Mark chapter 14, uh, we just get a glimpse of this in verse 65. When Jesus is being arrested, some began to spit at him and to blindfold him, and to beat him with their fists, and to say to him, prophesy, mocking him. And the officers, so we're talking Roman officers or the Jewish officials also, uh, probably the Romans, received him with slaps in the face. There's no mention that Jesus slapped anybody back. He didn't yell out and say, stop spitting on me. He didn't try to get away from them. He allowed them to do that. So he's telling us we have the option to do that just like he did that. Um, I want to read a couple more quotes from a couple other uh, commentators uh, on this section. Uh, Dr. Turner said this, one may never need to physically turn the other cheek. Um, I don't don't remember the last time I saw somebody slap somebody uh, in public, but uh, so you may not need this, all right? I remember in McDonald, we were in a little restaurant there in McDonald, Kansas, and uh, we were sitting at a table with a retired state trooper. And uh, these two men, in the middle of the day, it's already, they'd already had way too much to drink. And they're arguing about this cute blonde girl that's sitting with them. And uh, they're getting a little rough. And pretty soon, uh, there's going to be a fight. And they're, they're threatening each other. And uh, it looks like they're going to get up from the table right in this little restaurant and ha- ha- take, you know, go to fisticuffs. And I looked at this ex-state trooper and I said, are you going to let this happen? He said, you know what? It's been a long time since I saw a good fist fight. <laughs> okay. So no, you're going to let it happen. So uh, it's, it's rare maybe, depending on the crowd you hang out with, I guess. But he says, one may never need to physically turn the other cheek, give up one's coat, or go an extra mile. But one must be willing to unselfishly suffer personal loss with faith that the Heavenly Father will meet one's needs and deal with the injustice in his own time. And that theme's going to come up over and over this morning. The idea is, I can, I can be in a position where I don't retaliate, I don't demand that I get justice, because I can entrust myself that God in heaven will one day set everything that's wrong, he will set it right. He will defend you, he will vindicate you, against the person who did that to you. Now, if you turn around and slap him back, <laughs> you might be the one that ends up, you know, getting, getting retaliation. But the point is, do I, do you trust God enough that we can forego a judgment for us in the terms of maybe $20,000 and believe that God's going to take care of us and believe that it's in his hands? Now, Dr. Keener said, some misread this text as if to say not to oppose injustice. What it really says, however, is that we should be so unselfish and trust God so much that we leave our vindication, we leave our vindication to God. The issue Jesus raises is 
Are we always going to insist on vengeance? Are we always going to insist on payback? Not us, because of what it says in Romans chapter 12. If you want to follow me there, Romans chapter 12 and verse 17. Paul tells the Romans, Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. The issue is, do you believe it? That's what's going on here. Do you believe it? Do you believe that God will take care of your accounts? Do you believe that I don't have to take vengeance because God will work it out in his way and God always does it fairly, justly, and righteously? I probably wouldn't. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head, which is an idiomatic expression for this would be the best way, if you respond this way, uh, to help God convict somebody's heart so they're convicted that they did the wrong thing. It doesn't mean that you want to go home, get, fire up the barbecue, put on some hot coals, and say, here, Lord, use these coals to pour on his head. Uh, that would be the wrong motivation, right? That would be taking vengeance yourself. No, leave it to God. He says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good overcome evil with good that's why vengeance isn't ours and friends there's only one reason to hang on to anger in your heart one and that's for revenge and God says that belongs to him can't forget that so if I have lost an eye and I'm facing the one who took mine from me it is at that point that I have to decide according to this text in the presence of Jesus who's always present if I really need to demand that the authorities remove the eye of the offender, do I, have to, do I have to file charges? Do I really have to take that to court? This is not a blanket prohibition against seeking justice. It is that I don't always have to, nor should I, in every case. In verse 39b, Jesus' example is of someone slapping you across the face, I would assume, where you decide to give them the other cheek as well, which means I'm not going to hit you back. I'm not, I'm just, if you want to do more, go ahead and do it. Dr. Blomberg interjected here in his commentary, Christian kindness should transcend straightforward retribution. Dr. Turner said, encourage, he encourages all of us to go beyond the expected response. We should not just angrily slap an opponent in the face back. Let's go on to verse 40 and 41. If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, let him have your coat also. Whoever forces you to go one mile, go with him too. So Jesus isn't done with this uh, lesson yet, is he? We learn in those verses that the follower of Christ can forego his own comfort in an effort to advance his faith and demonstrate that he believes God is in control of his life. So in verse 40, we learn that we can demonstrate a decision of ours of not fighting back when someone takes us to court. Let me read a couple more quotes from uh, our uh, Bible scholars. Uh, this one is Dr. Keener again. He said, 
we have no honor or property worth defending compared with the opportunity to show how much we love God. He's saying nothing that you own is, is so important that we could forego the opportunity to show how much we love God. And he goes on, and everyone else. By not retaliating, by not coming down uh, to the oppressor's level, we necessarily will appear unrealistic to the world. You're saying, That's not how the world acts. You know, when I slapped you, I really, I just assumed you're just going to slap me back. It's going to be a fight. And that person doesn't do it. Dr. Turner says, insistence on taking one's own vengeance is tantamount to denying that God will avenge his people. In other words, if I decide I must take my own vengeance, it must happen now. It's just like saying God's not going to take care of this. God's not going to take care of me. I can't count on him for the vengeance, so I'll just do it myself. Well, even so, we're to be ruled as Christians by the law of love. And uh, I wanted to point to Matthew 22 and verse 29, 39 as uh, that, that illustration. He's talking about the two greatest commandments. He said, the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. We don't go around slapping the people in the face that we love. Love your neighbor as yourself. My advice to people in divorce situations is always the same. I always tell them, whatever your settlement is, make sure it is fair, equitable, uh, and reasonable as a settlement. Because you know what happens? Usually the person who has been wronged feels guilty because maybe there's things they could have done better and probably they could have, but they feel wrong, they feel hurt, and they just feel like, I'm just going to give that other person everything I own. I don't care if I leave with just the, the shirt on my back. Well, somebody needs to step up and say, you know, you need to care about that. You need to eat. You need to have a place to live. This is going to be the most expensive thing that you do. You may need a little cash to live on. I'm not asking you to take more than is your share, and I'm asking you not to take less than is your share. Let's just divide this up. Now, that person has the choice. They could say, no, I'm going to give it all away. I can't stop them. I'm not going to make, I'm not going to make a, a big deal to stop them. But I think in that case, because there's things coming that maybe you're not going to be aware of and make it fair and equitable. I, I don't think you go and take everything they have. So you're giving up something there, but you're also giving something there. And I think the situation uh, is going to decide what that should be. It was, it was the Roman law that if a soldier asked you to carry something for him, the law said you must oblige him. So in Luke 23, 26, when Jesus couldn't carry the, the crossbar of his cross anymore, they found a man named Simon from Cyrene, and they said, you pick up his, his cross and you carry it for him. The soldier told him, and he did it. That was the law. So in short... I've heard people say, always as a Christian, go the extra mile. I heard people tell me, you need to go the extra mile. Uh, and going that extra mile is something that we don't always want to do. It's not always pleasant. It might be hot outside, you know, we don't want to do that. But commentators like to tell you, as you're reading through this, uh, they say, hey, you need to know how long a Roman mile was. Good news, it's not quite as big as 5,280 feet. Hey, <laughs> woo, nice, nice deal. All right, I can go a mile, it's a little shorter. I don't think Jesus was talking about that. God wasn't talking about that. 
Because if I'm looking at it as, okay, I only have to go one mile and that's it. That's not what Jesus meant. Uh, doesn't that miss the point of, here of what he is saying? That you would give up your own personal rights and help somebody like that? Would you stop at, at exactly uh, the, the last foot of the mile? Are you going to have to hire somebody on your 100-foot measuring tape and they go behind you, take a step, measure that, and when we get to 5,279, we say, I've gone far enough. I'm done. I don't think that's what he meant. In my life, I've had people go more than the extra mile for me, and it's very much appreciated uh, when, when people are that giving. Well, we would not stop and uh, say we're not going to do that last step. Verse 42. Give to him who asks of you, and do not turn away from him who wants to borrow from you. We learned there that we give to one another uh, the things that are asked, and we lend to him who wants to borrow. Jesus is saying to even forego that which should not be taken from you. Somebody takes it wrongly. There's a passage in Deuteronomy chapter 24 again, Deuteronomy 24. It talks about what a, what a believer would do in a situation where a neighbor has borrowed something and you took their, their outer coat as a pledge that you're going to get it back. So the neighbor comes in the morning and he borrows, you know, your uh, wheelbarrow and you say, well, I'm going to need your coat as collateral for that and you can have it and you can get your coat back when I get my wheelbarrow back. Well, here's the heart of God in that in Deuteronomy 24, 12, and 13. He's talking about uh, making, uh, making loans without pledges, but he says, if he is a poor man, you shall not sleep with his pledge. When the sun goes down, you shall surely return. He doesn't say, if he comes back and he shows up and then he's around, you can give it back to him. He says, you shall surely return the pledge to him. Why, God? Because he needs it to sleep with, that he may sleep in his coat, his cloak, and bless you. And it will be righteousness for you before Yahweh, your God. In other words, yeah, I took the coat, but it's getting to be night. He's not done yet. I haven't got my wheelbarrow back yet. I'm going to take his coat and give it to him. He needs it. It's going to be a cold night. And God says that will be righteousness to you. Uh, notice also Proverbs 3, 27. We'll look at a couple of those verses in the Old Testament again. Proverbs 3, 27. And 28, do not withhold good from those to whom it is due. Why would it be your obligation if somebody owes you something not to make sure I get it back legally? Well, because I'm in an opportunity where I could do some good to that person. It's due to that person because I'm a follower of God. So do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to do it. Do not say to your neighbor, go and come back, and tomorrow I will give it when you have it with you. When you have it with you. And then look at Isaiah 56 and 7. Isaiah 56 and 7. This is prophetic of, of no less than Jesus Christ, but it says, 
I gave my back to those who strike me and my cheeks to those who pluck out the beard, literally pulling out someone's hair out of their beard. I did not cover my face from humiliation and spitting. Now, how could he do that? Why would he do that? Here's the reason. For the Lord God, or for Yahweh God, helps me. Therefore, I am not disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like flint. He means to do the right thing. And I know that I will not be ashamed. All right? This, his, his shame will not come because of this action. He will be honored by God because of this action. What do you believe about what God will do for you to care for you when you have a troubling situation like this near you and you decide to take the opportunity to follow his directives and come your way, that, that come your way? What do you believe that God will do? Do you believe he'll help you? Do you believe he'll be there for you? Do you believe that he'll make right what was wrong? Amen. Anybody? Amen. There's got to be more than, than the youth of America listening to this. You should all say amen. Thank you for that. Amen. I like it. I'm going to go another 10 minutes on that. Thank you. It's fine. It's fine. Dr. Keener said, we should be unselfish and trust God. There's that theme just over and over. Be unselfish and trust God for our well-being. But he also said that he does not think that Jesus is telling us to give until we are naked and broke. See, when you think about it, if you did that in every situation, one of these days you're not going to have anything at all. And I don't think he's saying that, and neither uh, does Dr. Keener. What the text seems to be upholding is that there are times to follow this teaching literally and other times where we may seek justice. We learn this because of the actions of people like the Apostle Paul in his conflict with Rome. And one of those is in Acts chapter 22, if you want to look at that with me. Acts 22, 25 and 26. But when they stretched him out with leather tie straps, Paul said to the centurion who was standing by, is it lawful for you to scourge a man who is a Roman and uncondemned? When the centurion heard this, he went to the commander and told him, saying, you, what are you about to do? This man is a Roman citizen. What he's about to do is against the law. Paul saved himself an extra beating that he doesn't have to list for everybody in 2 Corinthians. He saved himself a beating by saying, I'm a Roman citizen. This is illegal. And he got out of that beating. He used his rights as an individual citizen of Rome to escape that punishment. And I'm not going to stand here and say that he was wrong for doing that. Uh, he was blessed by God in his ministry, and I think he was blessed for doing that. Let's take another one in 1 Corinthians 6, 7. 1 Corinthians 6, 7. Where it says, Paul says, Actually then, it is already defeat for you, because there were Christians suing each other from the church in Corinth. It is already defeat for you that you have lawsuits with one another. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be defrauded? Oh, man, as Americans, we hate hearing that. I have a right not to be wronged. I have a right not to be defrauded. Paul says, why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be defrauded? I think this is in the church among Christians. 
On the contrary, you yourselves wrong and defraud. You do this even to your brethren. And he calls that unrighteousness and that the unrighteous do not inherit the kingdom of God. Second Timothy. Chapter 2. And verse 24. The Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, must be kind to all, able to teach, and patient when wronged, with gentleness, correcting those who are in opposition. Perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth. By the way, that's directives for a young pastor and how he acts in his church. This is a difficult thing for us because we live in a country where we like to show our rights. Uh, we all become, you know, lawyers when we're having trouble. Like, you know, you put this much concrete on my property, and there's uh, now you have to go to court with me because that was wrong for you to do. Or you planted your hedge on my side, and you didn't have a right to do that. We're going to court. We have all kinds of things that we think are, is our right, and we don't want to be wronged. Uh, this is a challenge for us to uh, choose places where we don't have to take retaliation. We don't have to uh, get somebody hurt because they hurt us. He's asking us to at least consider it. We should always consider it. And if we can, uh, we should. So number one in applications, we should strive to be more generous than the law demands. Strive to be more generous than the law demands uh, when, when the law is on your side and in your favor. Number two, Jesus is our ultimate example of selflessness. Jesus is our ultimate example of selflessness. One of my children hit somebody's pickup and did not a lot of damage, but I knew that if it went inside, you know, the body shop, it's going to cost a couple thousand probably. And the guy said, just forget it. It's an old pickup. Don't worry about it. I don't even care that it gets fixed. You know how good that felt? Because at the time, we didn't have that extra money. You could do that for other people. Number three, we are to show the spirit of grace over the demand of retribution. And then finally, uh, looking together to the last verse, I know we've looked at a lot of verses today. First Peter chapter 2 and verse 23. Again, the example of Jesus Christ and when he's in a situation uh, where he had every right to retaliate, but he didn't. It says in 1 Peter 2.23, And while being reviled, that word means verbally abused, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats. But he kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross. Now, I want you to notice the change there. Just, just make sure you understand this. He's talking about threats and insults and beatings and all that stuff Jesus went through. And he didn't stop talking about that. He didn't stop talking about the abuse to Jesus in verse 24. He continues the abuse to Jesus, and we find out it's us that did this. He bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins. He had, he had a goal of, of our righteousness. He had a goal of our salvation. And he knew that he had to take care of the pain uh, that we caused God the Father, and he took it on himself. 
and by his wounds you were healed. I think what God is telling us in this Sermon on the Mount at this point is you can actually bring spiritual healing to another person if you decide I'm not going to take vengeance, I'm not going to retaliate. So we learn that we, need to necess- we don't need to necessarily claim our rights for the sake of the kingdom. I think what Paul did, he did because he knew he had not completed the ministry that Jesus gave him. He had not yet stood before the Caesar. And so he used his legal rights to move on. It's all between you and God, what you decide in what case. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, uh, these are more difficult things for us to think about because in America we're all about our personal rights and all about somebody not stepping on us and people getting what they deserve. I just pray that you would help us to understand the spiritual nature of obeying you and doing what you say. Lord, I pray that we would uh, just use our next opportunity uh, to not retaliate, but to go the extra mile and not demand our rights be, be taken care of and see what you do. Do we trust you enough for that? Each one of us has to answer that question. Thank you, Father, through Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit for bringing this to our attention this morning. And I know that you always bring up the right thing at the right time. May it touch our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.